This is Talking Terry, the Terrence Malick Podcast. And I am your host, Paul Beer. Um, <laughs> I just received an email. Let's see. Nothing important. All right. Um, I thought maybe it was Terry emailing me finally. Uh, I've never tried to email Terrence Malick. Um, but you know what? You're welcome to come on the pod, Terry, uh, if you're listening. Uh, you're almost certainly not listening. All right. So uh, today I've got a wonderful conversation with the hilarious, the insightful, the talented uh, Becky Johnson. Becky's a uh, very gifted uh, improviser, um, uh, performer, um, uh, and um, she she had some uh, wonderful things to say, interesting things to say about Terry in general, uh, to whom he owes checks, who owes checks to Terry, uh, as well as um, uh, Days of Heaven. So... Uh, on that front, th- this will probably be a two-part conversation about Days of Heaven because the Royal, a, um, a theater here in Toronto, uh, is going to be showing A Hidden Life on December the 11th. I encourage all members of uh, the Talking Terry um, uh, universe, family, uh, to come out to that. I will be there. And um, it's being shown in 35 millimeter. I've never seen this movie in, on the big screen, so this is a this will be a, uh, a fun treat. And then we'll likely have another discussion afterwards, um, uh, after having seen it. So this 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 one is uh, it it touches on a number of different uh, Terry projects, um, but focuses largely on. Um, on uh, Days of Heaven, and then there will be a follow-up Day of Heaven. Uh, just wanted to do a little bit of uh, Terry news. Um, Hidden Life has been nominated for an Independent Spirit Award uh, for Best Picture, along with uh, Clemency, The Farewell, Marriage Story, and Uncut Gems. Um, I think that gets handed out the day before the Oscars. I think that's how that works. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's good news. Terrence Malick not nominated for best director. Uh, interestingly, that's the only, um, nomination it received was for, was for best feature. Um, some people may be asking, isn't this a Fox searchlight movie? How does it get nominated? Well, the Fox searchlight, which is now part of Disney is, um, distributing the movie, but it was independently financed, I guess. So, so that's the way. I, I don't really understand how that works. Um, and yeah, so uh, I, I think without any further ado, I don't know if there's any other um, uh, Terry news. Please uh, enjoy this conversation uh, I had with the, um, the uh, fantastic. It's just such a joy to talk to Becky. It it, it truly is, and and uh, I know that. Um, uh, I know that she's listened to the pod. Um, she may be the only listener. I'm not entirely sure. But um, uh, please enjoy this conversation. Uh, at one point, I believe you can hear a blender uh, going off. This was recorded, by the way, at the uh, Never Sleeps um, 
Network Studios, uh, so it may sound a little bit better than this has in the past, um, with uh, engineering by uh, Alex Ross. All right, so please enjoy this conversation with Becky Johnson. All right, well. Did we start? We'll, we'll start now. I'm here with, I'm joined with Becky Johnson, whose Wikipedia biography lists her as a Canadian comedian, writer, actress, improviser, craftsperson, and organizer. Hi, Becky. Hi. Hi. You might know Becky from uh, Space Riders, from uh, Second City, mm-hmm. Catch-23 Improv. Yep. This hour is 22 minutes. Um, yeah, I was on there for... Once Baroness Von Sketch. Yes, yeah. Anything else? Probably. Sufferance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us. So excited to be here. I'm a long-time listener. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Yeah, I started listening last week. That's about as long as anybody could possibly be yeah. listening to this. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it was nice. Just sort of reached out and here I am. So yeah. I guess any listener can do that. Exactly. So anyone who's listening, um, it's a very limited number. Um, but do you, any, do you have access to your numbers? Uh, I do, but I kind of don't look at them mm. because I may never do another episode if I look at them. <laughs> I see. Well, Terrence Malick might have never made another movie if he looked if, at his numbers. Exactly. So I have to use that that inspiration. Yeah. How did Terrence Malick come into your into your life? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I I don't. I don't know that it could be in this order, but there was a documentary about cinematography or lighting mm-hmm. called Visions of Light or something. Oh like yeah, that. I've I've heard I've I've never seen it, but I've heard about it. I feel like I saw that first. It mentioned the um what's the what's the term for this lighting, non artificial lighting, not natural, but like Oh um not dogma. Yeah, not not it dogma. It is dogma. I mean that's that's one of the tenets of dogma, right? right? Is that they, it's no, no artificial, no artificial light. light or right. natural. Uh, what, one day I'll have like a cinematographer <laughs> who can actually talk about <laughs> Whatever it is, it was like about just using natural lighting and low levels of light and pushing it. And I think I watched Days of Heaven after that, I mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. Or I'd seen it before and forgot. Right. I don't um, have a great memory. Mm-hmm. Is that, have you always never had a great memory? Is I that a reason? don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Who's, who could say? <laughs> I, it's impossible to say. I can't remember. But, um, but it does make rewatching movies a delight. I, I feel like I'm kind of in the same boat. Yeah. I, 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 uh, I, I am able to be surprised by movies that I've seen multiple times. Yeah. And um, I don't... Um, yeah, I don't retain. Maybe this is a symptom of something, but I don't retain. Like I, I, I rewatched um, uh, Days of Heaven a while ago, and I guess I'd forgotten entirely about the um, the Italian circus. Yes, I forgot about the flying circus as well. Okay, and I wanted to ask. Okay, so let's let's we'll 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 go back to yeah. the we'll go back to the the flying circus. I was hoping you were going to say flying circus because it it really shocked me. Um, I guess I didn't realize that's what a flying circus literally was. Like I'd heard the term a flying circus, but a circus. Anyway, we'll we'll we can go back. It can't just be three people. That, that doesn't seem like anyway, that, that doesn't we'll, seem like yeah. a circus. We have 
Uh, <laughs> or should we just talk about it now? Let's no. just talk. Let's just talk about it now. Let's just we we're, we've started to talk about the Flying Circus, and and so this is going to be a general Terrence Malick episode because I think that we're all planning on seeing Days of Heaven, which we'll be showing. But I watched it, it last night. You watched it last night, so it's very fresh. So we, yeah, that's we, why I thought we were talking. About. Well, we should absolutely talk about it in that case, and we should absolutely talk about the Flying Circus. Yeah. So uh, at, uh, somewhere around the midpoint, it felt like the middle. Yeah. Of the movie, um, in the midst of this, um, this, this sort of love triangle that's that's going on. Things are very tense. Very, t- it comes at a very tense time. Even a very tense moment. Right. That's right. And then suddenly they hear an air, like a biplane. Yeah, and you're like, are these crop dusters? But then no one's German. That's right. And it and it lands, and then some an Italian man. A little person a, a, a and little a person woman hop out, like a woman in a gown, hop out and start hitting <laughs> each other in the head. They immediately start doing like bit. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they start they they start doing their 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 stuff. Yeah. Their their um shtick shtick is the yeah. word I'm looking for. They're Lazzis in the Italian. Well, I was going to ask you about that because you studied yes physical comedy. Yeah, physical theater, clown, mm-hmm. yeah, commedia, melodrama. Um, and, and that was in, that, that was in California mm-hmm. in the late nineties, in the latest of nineties in 1998 to 99. You can't get any later than that. No, no. Were you there for Y2K? I don't know why that makes a difference. No, I was back in Vancouver. I, I graduated in 99 and then got really tense and came home, I guess. Um, tense because you didn't like being in I uh, No, just Y2K. Everyone was scared. You want to be close to your family. Sure. You don't know what was, we didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't. I think that we the, truly did it. I think that gets underrated. Is that <laughs> how much how, we didn't how much know. we didn't know what was going to happen with those computers? So night. choosing who you you know partied with on that night was like maybe this is my team now <laughs> for the apocalypse. <laughs> when everything breaks down, we don't know. I I'm pretty sure I was. Well, I know I was here in Toronto, and I'm pretty sure I watched the. I was here at. Um, I don't think it was at Nathan Phillips Square. I think it was like down by the waterfront. Oh, that's a scary place to go for the apocalypse. A little to close start. to the, a little close to the water, kind of, kind of a dead, like a yeah, south of the Gardener. It's like you don't want to be, you don't want to be when the, the things go down. The, the throngs will push you in. <laughs> but I think Len, the band Len, performed. Oh, steal my sunshine! Steal my sunshine! So they performed. What a all, way to go if that was the end. Steal my sunshine, <laughs> and then. I guess the the nuclear reactor explodes on the horizon, and then that's it. And that's yeah, yeah that and that stole our sunshine. Deep impact. Um, they performed "Steal My Sunshine" and a song that is lost to the winds of time. Like I have no idea what that other song could possibly. I hear their be. other stuff is good from one friend of I, mine. Well, I heard that one other song, and I I I, I had a fine time. If I so if they I played remember. two songs, and then they were out. They played two songs, and then it was the year two thousand. <laughs> That, I think that I think that was it. It was free, oh. two songs, and then uh, and then we all held each other, anticipating um, the end. Anyway, so you know about physical theater a little bit, yeah. So did it feel like aha when you when you when this ha, had you seen this movie prior to to, to you doing this or uh, or after? Ooh, that's a good question. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know, but um. But I didn't remember it from the first time. Watching it last night, I did wonder if this was a thing. And the business model of putting three people in two airplanes and going to a farm, I don't know. I mean, I also was struck in this movie by the wealthiness of farmers. That's right. something that – farmers are still wealthy, actually. Mm-hmm. Let's 
be clear about this. Let's be real. You certainly can be wealthy. Sure. Ugh, we've got some dairy cartels in this country. Right. Make your I am glad you I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> God. These rich farmers. Um, no, but you're right. But, you know, the farmer's a wealthy person, so maybe the farmer can be the sort of patron to your airplane friends. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, he, he is... Um, uh, he, uh, his accountant at one point, or his his right hand man, says, "You're the richest man. That's going to make you the richest man in the panhandle, right?" When he's like tallying up. I didn't always catch what everyone was saying in this movie. The dialogue is kind of muddled, M- muffled. Yeah, sometimes and, very far away. And um, I don't know if that's a product of time or just watching it at home because when I watched it as well I was like I, I found myself having to turn the volume up when people were speaking and turn the volume down especially at the very beginning when but, they're in the foundry well, they, it's so loud okay so in the foundry I don't think you're supposed to be able to no, hear I, I, so, I but that's right the thing that. so I don't know where the line is when I am supposed to hear so I just sort of zoned out and watched it I read some uh, I think I read the Wikipedia on mm-hmm. Days of Heaven afterwards and was like oh yeah I missed that happening <laughs> so I just thought Supposed to watch them talk from far away and not hear, right? Because you know the movie kind of lulls you into that. It does, and and that's uh, that's part of the part of the appeal. Like that's part of the, um, um, at, at least for me. Mm-hmm. I, I think when I first started, I, I think like you, I came to this movie um, through some sort of cinematography list or something like that where it's like the most beautiful movies ever made it's an uh, academy award-winning cinematographic experience (laughs) it is it's exactly that what's his what's his name i keep forgetting the cinematographer's name of this movie i tried to remember it i think i wrote it down yeah um yes but i there There were two actually one of them's name is haskell maxwell because that's that's a hell of a name yeah that's a fun name but yeah you're right there's that there were two and um, this is embarrassing. This is the only Terrence Malick podcast that, that exists. Yeah. Nestor? Nestor was the... Nestor. And I keep wanting to say Almodovar, but it's not. It is not. It is not. <laughs> I can't read my own writing. Um, but... I want to say his name right, because he won an Academy Award for it. But isn't that amazing that this is such such a um, uh, a famously gorgeous, well-photographed movie, and there were one of the, the the production went on for so long that one of them had to leave the the, <laughs> yeah. the, the original Nestor Almendros 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 um, had to had to leave and yeah then, their obligations yeah and then and I, Haskell I Maxwell remember, came I, in what's a hell of a name <laughs> but I don't remember what I don't remember what he had to leave to do I think it was something else that was famous and this does come up on the commentary which I listened to a little bit of oh um. Which is very interesting. It's the it's the production designer who has worked on I think all of Terrence Malick's movies um, from from the beginning, um, as well as the costume designer. Like there's a few people right. who are who are not not Terry himself, no. sadly. But you were talking about how it lulled you. That's kind of the 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 vibe of the movie. Even though there's a lot going on, and there is a like a clear almost kind of like classical plot um, uh, of people are pretending to be people they're not. Yeah. Although it's a little bit unclear why they are pretending to be brother and sister to begin with. Is it to, is it to hide his identity, given that he's like a fugitive? I thought it was just um, brother and sister can just travel together without getting any guff. Oh, that's good. That's interesting. That's sort of what I took mm-hmm. from it. Yeah. And... Um, 
yeah, there's there's sort of a uh, as, as I was saying, it's like a classical plot, but that that almost matters less than the experience of just being with these characters and yeah. um and watching you know storks <laughs> fly yeah. over them watching fly yeah birds close-ups of so birds yeah. um and uh yeah existing in this in this uh landscape like existing in this and um uh I think when I first started watching these movies, the, the almost kind of like documentary, documentary like. There's got to be a word for that, but aspect of it where you're, you're, it just feels very, very authentic. That this is how wheat collection <laughs> or um, yeah. you know harvesting would have hap- would have happened, and getting... and there are things that are flat out documentary, like uh, you, you didn't he didn't make all those birds fly right that yes. was just you know famously terrence malick would say turn the camera away from richard right yes <laughs> i don't care that he learned his lines D- show the stork mm-hmm. and uh but so it actually is melded with documentary there's all these non-actors like the shafts of wheat right exactly yeah and then doesn't it sort of say that aren't all films documentaries of some description that we can't control that's interesting i like that the stuff that and and this only is accentuating or putting the putting it front and center yeah um as opposed to uh, being in the background or yeah being but it's always surprise. there yeah no matter what even if you're doing all cgi there's still like we're, it's a documentary of the level of technology we're at at that point you know hmm. these things are always present and terry just oh, terry and, and apparently there, there was a there was a whole second unit that was just in um montana hmm. that was kind of going under the radar because of um like union um concerns so they they filmed this in southern alberta yeah i knew near, it was near, shot in canada yeah near 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 lethbridge and apparently they wanted to they wanted to shoot it in texas originally like where it's set yeah but then as production kept getting pushed back further and further you go north they had to keep going further and further north because the harvest would have already happened at that start time like right. so they got pushed further and eventually ended up i mean it's just such a happy accident because it's such a gorgeous setting yeah like it's just such a such a beautiful place have you ever been to southern alberta have you spent any time in lethbridge uh i have not is lethbridge in southern alberta it is yeah it's south of oh. south of calgary i believe oh is it yeah then i don't know that i have been there um what's the one that's the that straddles the two provinces lloydminster red deer you can talk, Alex. You can. You can. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Lo- I think I thought Lloydminster was on a between Montana border. and uh... no, 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 provincial border. Anyway, uh, yeah, I've traveled this whole country pretty much. Mm-hmm. I haven't been to the Arctic tundra. I've been to the Yukon, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I've been through that area a lot. It's beautiful. Yeah. And um, this brings up something I wanted to discuss about Days of Heaven. Um, might be a bit of a controversial uh, I, claim. I, I need controversy. Do you think Days of Heaven is Terrence Malick's grassiest film? That's a great question. So grassiest Most in... grass. Now, wheat is a grass. <laughs> okay, so that if, wheat, if we're calling wheat a grass... It is. Then it's hard to say that this is not the grass. Wheat is a grass. Because the movie revolves around harvesting wheat. Yeah. And there's just so many scenes of, you know, threshers But and this stuff. is somebody who likes grass. There's grass in the Badlands. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's grass in... War, there, yeah, in uh, in, in thin, red li- thin red line. There's lots of um, 
lots of grass yeah. in, the, in, the South, in the South Pacific. Mm-hmm. There's lots of grass in the New World as well, where there, um, mm. where there's sort of there's scenes of um, uh, Pocahontas and um, John Smith, that's his name? Yep. Um, sort of uh, pursuing each other <laughs> through the grass. The, the, the listener can't hear, they can't see me sort of shimmying so my a shoulder. Shimmy going. A very actually grass-like, grass-like Steinbeckian. So <laughs> why do you think that is? What is it about the grass? The swaying of the like. It, I mean, it looks incredible. Well, I wonder if Steinbeck is an influence. He likes to write about grass. I'm, I'm like sure Steinbeck. I'm sure Steinbeck would be an influence, especially on this, on Days of Heaven, which takes place in in this sort of similar. In 1916, so earlier than Grapes. Of than, than Grapes of Wrath, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is. Similar planes, I think about, about the yeah. planes. I think but about Grapes of people was, on the on the on the edge. Grapes of Wrath was written before Days of Heaven was made, right? So, but it Days has of Heaven to be is set, set before Grapes, Grapes of, of Wrath. Wrath. Mm-hmm. There we go. And it's sort of similarly, like sort of transient people. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's sort of the interesting thing about yeah the Jodes. But you you sort of focus on the Jodes in the Grapes of Wrath, and here the transients, except for what's their names? I didn't even know what Richard Gere's name was. Watching the whole thing. I have I couldn't tell you what Richard Gere's name. Um, and I watched it last night. <laughs> <laughs> you were kidding about that memory. I mean, I no, should no, know what this. I don't. If it was said, it was mumbled somewhere across a field, and I missed <laughs> it. <laughs> I really, I don't know. I I also I also don't remember. I don't, and I actually don't think um, that the farmer has a name. No, I think he's just the farmer. So maybe. Yeah. So maybe it's a, well. It clearly it doesn't it doesn't matter. Nothing right? matters. It People clearly, don't matter. It clearly Linda makes, is the little girl. Yeah. She's incredible. I had dreams about her last night. Tell me about the dreams. I had a dream that, because I had an audition today before I came here, Mm I had a dream that before I went into the audition, she went in. Now, the audition I had today, oh, I I shouldn't say who I'm auditioning for. It's like a, let's say like a, just a normal service you'd need in your day-to-day life. You're auditioning for a service. Well, I don't want want to say what I'm Okay, sure. But a commercial audition. And... But I dreamed that she was auditioning. Defense contract. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what Toronto. <laughs> <The> Blackwater. <laughs> Toronto's doing a ton of advertising for Black Ops. Yeah. Um, so she was going in before me, and somehow that was like an open room, so everyone was crowded around watching her. She was also a grown woman at this point. I was going to ask, was she was she like twelve years older? No, but she was still small. She's still quite mm-hmm. small, but grown up um, because. So this movie came out in 1978, um, mm-hmm. and so did I. So she's got to be older than I am. Right. Yeah. At probably I mean, 12 or 13 just years old. Yeah. The, being, the facts just. <laughs> yeah. We can, we can double check that. Dictate but I would say, that she's I would older than I am. The person who was alive when you were born. Anyway, it was like this sort of open thing. She was, she was auditioning for some sort of psychiatric medication, like a depression mm-hmm. pill. She was crying and crying and just saying, I'm depressed. I'm depressed. And then looking into camera and they did this, this sort of take for the audition. It was clear that it was done and, and everybody around <laughs> applauded. And then I had to go next. So a classic actor. So she got it. She got, she got that part. You think. She both. You know what's interesting? I don't know if she did in my dream. I think it was a bit much for a commercial. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a bit But she's intense. probably going to get other work. Usually in those... As a result of it. Usually in those um, uh, prescription drug things, the people, the, the people you see are extremely happy. Yeah, they, it's post-medication. They're not, yeah, they're not depressed. They are playing volleyball or they're... Um, they're not crying, screaming, and staring into camera. No, no. Not usually. But it was a great performance that she did in my dream, and then it really was, um, it was tough for me to 
go in there next in this open audition environment? I'm sure. Let me ask you a question. Uh In your time, television, have you worked with kids? Have you had to perform with kids? Oh, like kids in... Like, like have you had to, to, to act with kids? Yes. What, like, how young? Not that young. I was on Odd Squad. Of course, yeah. So I got... They're like... They're, no, they're, they're not that. They're, they're, they're like this. They, they would... This? Th- th- I mean, the, <laughs> the same age that, that, that she would be in that movie, right? Uh, yeah, but that's Roughly. not like a kid kid. And well, I have it... I, when I was in Working Moms, I had a daughter, but mm-hmm. she was, I think, 16, the actor. Right. So how do you – because this is an amazing performance that, that, that uh, Linda Rance – Mance? Mance? Mance. God damn. This is the only Terrence Malick podcast. And I looked this stuff up. Linda. Mance. She gives an amazing performance yeah. in this movie. And, um, and this comes up in like uh, Tree of Life as well. Like there's amazing performances by, by the kids in, in, in Tree of Life and I think. I haven't seen Tree of Life. I know. Isn't that an admission? It's Hunter McCracken, I guess, is the kid's name, who's gone on to become another great name, but who's gone on to become like a grown-up actor, an adult actor. Was oh. in, was in um... Linda Mance did not. Right. So this is what I'm saying. Do you do you think that um, there's a benefit to having kid actors who are completely fresh and new to this, to, to, to the experience? Because he tends to get unknowns. Well, even though even the woman who played um, um, Pocahontas in, in the New World, I think that was her first that was her first movie. Um, he tends to get for for like younger parts, he gets he gets unknowns. Um, do, they, you, do you think that there's a that there's a inherent benefit? They certainly have a quality that like trained little actors don't have. Because mm-hmm. um, and I have to apologize to all the. You know, under twelve actors who listen to this podcast, but it's, it's a huge part of our demo. But um, <laughs> your air and demeanor can be quite disturbing in some manners. Yeah, you no, know, it's true. Sort of dissociated from reality in a way. And there's like, there's in this performance, there's a realness that's it's it's like unbelievable that this is real, but it it also can't not be real, and right. that's magic. Can I may I read a quote? Please. It's from Terrence Mal. Oh, you came prepared. More than I can say for myself. Yeah, I brought in some research. Um, Linda... I read your Wikipedia page. That was my, that was my preparation. That's pretty good. Okay. Linda, the teenage girl, is the heart of the film. She was sort of a street child we discovered in a laundromat. For the role, she should have been younger, but as soon as I spoke to her, I found in her the maturity of a 40-year-old woman. Non-judgmental and left to her own imagination, she had her own ideas for the role, giving the impression of having actually lived this life instead of having to invent and play with another. At first, it was a bit frustrating to work with her. She couldn't remember her lines, couldn't be interrupted, and was difficult to photograph, which I find fascinating. Despite this, I started to love her, and I believed in her more than anything else. She transformed the role. I'm glad that she's the narrator. Her personality shines through the film's objectivity. Every time I gave her new lines, she interpreted it in her own way. When she refers to heaven and hell, she says that everyone is bursting into flames. Mm -hmm. It was her response to the film on the day when she saw The Rushes. That comment was included in the final version. Linda said so many things that I despaired being unable to keep them. I feel like I have not been able to grasp a fraction of who she really is. Wow. What a great quote. Yeah, it's on her IMDb page. And how absolutely true. Because you you really get the sense that this is somebody who has lived this 
live this life. But she like. I mean, she was in a laundromat in New York City. Yeah, yeah. She she wasn't yeah wasn't no. a uh, she, I <laughs> wasn't mean, a farm or a farmhand. Reading that last night opened up a lot of questions to me too. Did her parents come with her? Did she just go on a strange adventure with these people into right. Canada? Mm-hmm. I, I have no. I mean, I, I have to assume her parents came with her. But this it was the seventies. It was the seventies. This the... was like when they were you know punching Linda Blair in the face. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. No one cared. It, it was terrifying. It, it seemed like a Lucy, not only a Lucy Goosey time, but a Lucy Goosey um, production because when they're talking about that fire, that oh, fire that scene looks, just looks so dangerous. There are a couple shots where I'm, uh, the background actors have been lit on fire and trampled by horses. <laughs> I definitely feel like I saw someone get run over by a horse. Yeah, there's, there's, it is chaotic. And mm-hmm. apparently that there, there was, again, this is from the commentary, there, there, they would shoot bits of that. Um, like every night, every night of the production, they they had like a, another unit that would just go out and set like a portion of the of the field on mm. fire, and they would use diesel to pour onto the onto the the crops, or whatever. Which well, I, I mean, it's good for the tar sands. <laughs> it's great, good for industry yeah. in Canada. That's and, good. And they even joke, they're like, we have no idea how the crops fared in years afterwards after dousing it with diesel for, <laughs> for for 30 days or whatever but then they did do the like a big one and that was that were the scenes where you see like you see you see depth of background yeah and, and it just goes, goes on forever and there's like yeah again but like we have background actors like swatting at flames and you you get the sense that they're really trying to put those fire out and that, uh, so anyway, all this to say I've is been that, on sets. You can't do that to background actors. They're, they're like, am I, they're nervous. They're, Are you yeah. supposed to stand here? No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, but, put this fire out. Well, I guess you get. I guess maybe you get that, that, that authentic reaction because they're like. Yeah, we're going to dump a bunch of peanuts on you. Now put out a fire. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, but back to kid acting. I think oh, yeah. I, I always joke that kid acting, and this is not to besmirch any child, again, the, the child actors. <laughs> oh, that was a UFO. It's all documentary, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's all it does sound it's like a happening. UFO. It does sound like a UFO. <laughs> <laughs> um I was joke that like kid acting stopped at like um Shirley Temple, like like when they oh. when they instruct kids on how to how to perform. Like little show pony. Exactly. Acting. And they're just like, This is it. This is all you need to know. Like you come out, you tap dance, smile. You smile and you're yeah. like, Come on. Like you just sort of roll your eyes and, and that kind of thing. So that that's why and, and that's not to say that there aren't incredible like trained child actors. But for every, you know, Jodie Foster even that, even with Jodie Foster, I don't know. Like, how did she go to? She was a kid, a child Maybe, star. I think I always think of Haley Joel, right? Like the very adult little boy. And, and I think that you have to get or them. Dakota Fanning, right? Yeah, there's there's always some sort of grown up, either grown up or completely guileless. Yeah, but there's very little in between, I think, and that you have to get get them early. Yeah, and you just have to hope that they don't turn into. But then the Terrence Malick approach seems to be like capturing the the geese. It's like or the peahens. Right. It's yes. like just children just, are wild beasts. Right. Let them go and see what happens. And I mean, I would love to know what the shooting ratio is on this film in terms of feet to or like feet of film to what it was actually. I think it was a lot. I think they shot a lot of film. Yeah, I think that's sort of the deal with this. It's right. Like the ratio is like ten thousand to one. Right. 
and he didn't know what to do with it for two years. Just, just heaps and heaps and heaps of stuff he'd shot. Mm-hmm. And also the narration that the character Linda does wasn't planned. Mm-hmm. That was what saved the film. Someone went, well, why don't you bring her back in and just ask her to say whatever she wants? And it's it, it so much of it is um, like untied to what what we're actually looking at and and so much of it is just sort of fr- seems like free association yeah and it really does make it it ties it together and i mean richard gear is pretty mad that a bunch of his acting got cut out look i would be too you should get him on the podcast and see rich erd dick it's the the invitation's open mm. you know the invitation is open this is the only terrence malick this podcast. is the only terrence malick podcast so um, you want to let loose on Terry. <laughs> your Now's your piece. chance. Now's your chance. Apparently, John Travolta. Did you hear about this? Did you read about this? Oh, no. I don't know, actually. What is it? John Travolta claims that he was originally going to be the the Richard Gere part. That, that, he, that, he, that Terrence Malick desperately wanted him to be the Richard Gere part. And that he couldn't do it for some reason. I don't know. I don't know if uh, this is post-Greece or right around Greece. Maybe he was doing Greece. It was sort of post-Welcome Back Cotter, and he was pretty high on the hog. (laughs) He was, you know, dreaming to his alien gods, and he knew it was (laughs) the world was his oyster. Right, yeah, where he was like, look, I got to go learn about Scientology. I can't do it. I can't go to Canada. I need to go to the – I need to learn about Xenu. And and he claims that Terrence Malick – because he took Terrence Malick's – didn't make a movie for another 25 years almost. He claims it was because he was, Terrence Malick was so heartbroken that he couldn't get John Travolta that he, uh, that he opted out. Now, I don't. That now, he... that's some alien talk right there. <laughs> that's like, he's like, I know that the ghosts made him stop working. <laughs> yeah, I talked to, yeah, I talked to Zinu. And um, uh, so, I mean, I don't believe that. Um, that's the official position of this podcast that we do not believe that, mm-hmm. that, that um, Terrence Malick. Uh, fell into a, a two-decade-long uh, Sojourn in France. Because he couldn't get uh, John Travolta to be in the movie. But John Travolta was in The Thin Red Line, the movie that, that, that he did come that he did he? come back. Yeah. Everybody, every single person is in that movie. George Clooney is in that movie for the amount of time that he's in the trailer of, for that movie. is That's his part. In, because in by that film. point, 20 years later, everybody wanted to work with Terrence Malick mm-hmm. um, for... I don't know what reason. There's sort of a, I mean, well, those I, two movies are I like... love Terry's movies. <laughs> don't get me wrong, but like the reports for, from Days of Heaven were not that it, they were in, it was enjoyable to work on. The right. actors didn't know what was going on. And again, I would love to see these hours and hours mm-hmm. of footage of, I don't know, Richard Gere in a field yelling at the sky or whatever they've shot. Right. You, you wonder how much like actual... What did they do? Farming that these were like how much manual labor? Because there's a lot of it in the movie of like that's Richard Gere, you know, bundling up like bales of hay. Yeah, and you're like, how much of that did he did actually spend months have doing to do? This? Yeah, and what, does... what are all these scenes that were cut? What's all the acting that happened? Right, and uh, look, if he's and, and and that's that's a common thing in these in these Terrence Malick movies is people come out of it and they're like, I thought I was in this movie and I'm not in this movie. Yeah, or I thought my part was much bigger. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I guess it's 
I actually, as Adrian an actor, Brody, sorry, oh, yeah. Adrian He's Brody in, the thin, red in the thin red line, but he thought that he was the star of the thin red line, and he has about three lines or something. Now, this movie. is an excellent director who makes everyone feel like they're the star, and then well, that's fucks it. Them in the end. And, then, and then when he when you go to the premiere and you bring your family and you have three lines and just a lot, of, there's a lot of scenes of. of um, Adrian Brody looking like he's about to cry. That's that's mostly. He's what, good at that. He's excellent. He's got giant, giant eyes. Huge eyes, eyes. Giant nose. Yeah. Just <laughs> running nose, dripping eyes. Sorry, you, you were gonna say. Oh, that yeah, as an actor. As an actor, like watching this movie, I was like, this is just. Um, things have changed somewhat in filmmaking in that it doesn't really exist anymore. Now it's sort of computers and guns and cars, mm-hmm. and then actors aren't really that important. Mm-hmm. And movies, real movies, don't get made anymore. I I side with Scorsese on this one. Right. Um, but watching this movie was like such a sort of reminder that it's not the actor's medium and that you are mm. a puppet and that's okay. Right. And that you just sort of have to resign yourself to that. Now, um, I think Richard Gere was very lucky that he was in a Terrence Malick movie and not you know, some schlocky garbage because right. they could have taken all the bad stuff and made him look like a bad actor. Right, exactly. You know, any any director could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but sort of giving over that you're not the most important thing and you're really not the most important thing in Days of Heaven. No, that's right. You know, yeah. your your screen time is definitely being co-opted by wheat. <laughs> <laughs> by various wrens but that's, that are hopping around. To, yeah. But to me, I honestly find that very refreshing and like there it's stepped away from ego in a way that I really like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's in it. I mean, ego is a big part of the actor's, um, tool belt, <laughs> <laughs> pathology or whatever yeah, it is. That, yeah. And so you often hear this, they're like, he was off shooting, a you know, a flock of birds or like a woodpecker when I was, you know, I was my... in it. I was in the zone. Right. And you're, you're talking about the, the, the way that movies are made now. And the the number of I'm obviously generalizing. I I think it's a safe generalization, <laughs> but the the number of like footage. I, I think to get these performances, even from you know stars like Richard Gere, and especially the, um, uh, sort of non actors or new actors, um, I think that there's a benefit to like just having lots and lots of t- like shooting um, lots and lots of footage, so that you. M- either get lots of attempts at this. You don't know when the take is beginning. You're getting lots of naturalistic kind yeah. of things about it. And it was way more expensive and difficult to do that 40 years ago than it is now. So I don't understand why more... I mean, maybe there's lots of movies that are happening now where they... But where, I mean, where, where this happens. I mean, because you had to shoot physical... 35 millimeter film that just would pile up a, somewhere. That's such a huge conversation, though. And I don't know what the answer is because... This film had a budget around $3 million in 1978, so I don't know what the modern-day equivalent is, but that's still – it's quite a bit. Mm-hmm. But now you couldn't make an, a movie for $3 million in today's dollars because it wouldn't even make back $3 million. Right. No. Where would it play? There mm-hmm. aren't art houses. Like, the last person to do that was – what's his name? Yorgos. Right, yeah. Um, Yorgos Lanthimos. Lanthimos. But that was like, you know, that was like making dog tooth in someone's backyard in Greece. But right. that was a very different system than what we're dealing with mm-hmm. here. I don't know how things work in Canada. Maybe in Quebec you can do it? Uh, it, seems like, it seems like Quebec you can do those kind of things. But, um, but yeah, it's you're, – you're right that this wouldn't find – at this 
scale. Like I, I, I get the sense that they were constantly bumping up against their budgetary limits yeah, for this for this movie. That feels like the story of absolutely every film. Right. What? Like, sorry, I'm not coming at you, but like, <laughs> as a, as an exercise, can you think of a a story of a film where they're like, um, everything came in on budget and um, we had a ton of money left over. <laughs> yeah, actually, we we're just we we're right on budget, right on the nose, and um, everyone got along, but they didn't really push themselves emotionally, and you know, we made something. <laughs> I think everyone can agree that's brilliant. Right. It doesn't happen. I know, but that's upsetting, right? Because why does it have to be like some white dude torturing a bunch of people and spending too much money to make it right. brilliant? Yeah, I, I, I think that there's, I mean, the, the, the scope of this, it's a very intimate story um, in that it just revolves around these three or four people, mm-hmm. but that it's a, it had to have been a complicated, expensive vision of like, well, it's going to be uh, outdoors. <laughs> it's going to be natural lighting. So we're going to have this house, shoot... have to build this house in the middle of this field. We can shoot half an hour a day. Right, yeah. Yeah, in the morning and the night. And then, but even then we're going to play, like, we're going to have them play around a lot. <laughs> Alex is thrilled about this. <laughs> this podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, and, and so, so I can see why it's constantly, why they would be constantly bumping up. And it's, and it's like a large scale vision of things like, you know, a giant fire, a plague of locusts, like almost biblical, yeah. biblical things. Um, so I can see why there would, but to, but to your point, I think that the, there's always a budget that gets established and it's like, all right, what is the absolute maximum that we can do with this? Like, let's put, like, let's, let's push it. Like, let's and see And everyone's how... mortgaging their houses and... Right, Yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But it also, this this came at the end of the 70s, and this felt like a real time of this. Like, this movie actually reminded me a lot of Apocalypse Now yeah. in a lot of ways, in mm-hmm. that it's like one madman's vision. And <laughs> <laughs> I think Apocalypse Now is the is like the ultimate yeah. version of that. Yeah. You know, um, where people were going to, people were potentially going to die, you know, of having heart attacks. And when I saw the fire stuff in Days of Heaven, I was like... This reminds me of some of the just like, yeah, let's just chop up an ox and light some shit on fire. <laughs> sure. Sure. Why not? Okay. So we talk about, they all make them like they used to. Is it better for the for the oxen and the various horses that were potentially singed? And for the this? human beings and whatever right. emotional. You know, um, I did think about this. I miss, I kind of miss the days of um, just torturing actors. I don't think this is safe work. I think... Mm-hmm. I think it is dangerous. I think it. I think it. Is, I think you are supposed to kind of rip yourself apart. But maybe I'm just old. No, I. I, I think miss I'm, it. I think I... I'm with you. <laughs> no, I, I. I think I'm with you. Like you get. Um... I don't. I. I do get concerned that the children are constantly smoking in this. <laughs> <laughs> but if you look carefully, she's kind of always just handing one off. So uh, yeah, you know, I, I don't I, think that she's a she's an experienced smoker as much as she. But may this have was this a... might have been her start. Right. Yeah. Yeah. True. Yeah. She, you're right. She's always like just she's or she's having it like taken out of her hand. Yeah. Snatched snatched away. <laughs> but you know what? A 12 year old or however old she's supposed to be, 13 year old. Um, They'd be smoking. R- r- ruffian. Would be smoking like a yeah. she, she'd be you know to calm yourself down at the end of a long day of work. Yeah, you know yeah. you're you're riding on top of a train, you're hanging out. So this this also the the appeal of this movie and of Badlands to me is I grew up in a very different um, environment. Environment. <laughs> oh yeah, then then manual labor. Yeah, then then, then following the the wheat 
harvest around and you know riding the rails and that kind of thing and so it's it was a a fascinating glimpse into that and not even a glimpse like it's an immersion in that in that world and um then we take it to be true Right. It feels authentic. I know, but how do we know? It's 100 I, years I, ago. I have no idea. Yeah, I have, I have no idea, but it, it definitely feels authentic. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the, like the late 70s was the last time that you could really make a movie that, that I don't know how to say this, that, that like evoked that time in that kind of way. Right. In that, like, I'm sure those threshing combines or whatever were the same ones that were around at the in 1916 and yeah. then they're like we, they, we still have like they're still i mean they might potentially still be around i i, I they kept breaking down on the i'm shoot, sure, on the set, sure too. that was really holding up days upon days of <laughs> i'm sure they shoot. did yeah they're using you know but i i was thinking about this like i'm gonna i saw the irishman the the martin oh, yeah. scorsese movie which is really really great and that does such a good job of like um recreating 50s um, like uh, Philadelphia and all that kind of stuff, but even then, you're like, you get this. You really could tell that these are people's cars, that they're like collectors, that they keep these cars, right. like for, for this purpose. Like everything just looks a little bit too too clean, perfect and clean. Whereas in Days of Heaven, like you could find, even though it was fifty odd years later, you could, you know, probably still find these kind of. Things. Well, a lot of the wardrobe was made out of um, like used materials and mm-hmm. stuff and like ripped apart old dresses or put back together and things like that so that the clothing was pretty close yeah mm-hmm. to what it would have been and even casting people who like the other people who are in the 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 crew a bunch of uh, alberta roughnecks i guess yeah or and like <laughs> what appear to be vaudeville performers <laughs> you know what I mean? oh yeah like, right there's like you know like tap dance yeah, like i like i, I kind of shoe. yeah like I, I feel like if you were to find those people nowadays they would be people who that was their in or that they they would have you know done in like an MFA program in right. in doing tap dance like in doing re- recreating the tap dancing of that period. Well, this of time. is I mean this is the stuff I studied in the late nineties, and mm-hmm. I wonder who's studying it still. We were right. studying weird like dance like a weirdo. <laughs> were re- re- learning to do like dancing I, on a board. Uh, I we did do soft shoe. I was not good at it. No, <laughs> no. My teacher said. Just pretend you're much funnier and better when you do that. You're not going to get this. That's a good. That's a good general. He's like, advice. you're going to do the comedy, not the good at it version. <laughs> <laughs> Just sort of wiggle your arms and legs around, and people will be into that. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I think about that. I'm like, I think it's gone. I don't know. Yeah, I think that was sort of the last, the last period of time. That, um, I wanted to bring up because you brought up Badlands that um, in both. In both those movies, like the, it's a, a young female narrator mm-hmm. and a male director, which I find really fascinating. And in both cases, the woman, I found those characters extremely resonant. Even I was, was going to ask you that. Yeah, I was like, I'm a woman on this uh, podcast. Mm-hmm. The first, the first, the first woman, woman on the only <laughs> Terrence Malick podcast. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's interesting though because with Linda Mance, it, she's so unexpected and unusual. Like every single thing she says is just bizarre. And I think. Mm-hmm. I wish I, I was trying to remember the last line of the movie because she kind of walks away on these train tracks with some random girl, and she yeah, it was it was someone she met, um, and in, this is something I house. did not clue into until I watched this movie recently. That 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 was someone she met on the 
farm like on the and then and then reconnected with back in town was it yeah i was actually wondering that and i couldn't tell anyway they're walking away and she's like yeah i don't know what's gonna happen to her anyway maybe she'll meet a character i like her yeah. i want all the best yeah and end of movie end of movie she's like yeah she oh, she was a real good friend of mine i think that's the last that might be the yeah. last line. i want the good things that happen for her. maybe she'll meet a character and actually and that's so like poignant i found so touching She'd be like, "Yeah, she was, a, you know, she was a real good friend of mine." And you're like, "I think we saw your entire friendship. It was hanging out, talking about um, this boyfriend that that the, yeah. the the other girl had, who apparently has been dumped in the course of that movie twice, or has <laughs> been stood up twice right. because they're, they're going to the train tracks. To I didn't like realize it was the same girl. Yeah, to, to to meet some to meet some guy who was like a soldier, right, or something. It's like yeah. he's going off to the war." And then she's like, I, n- I don't wait two hours for nobody. And then they walk, and then they walk away. And it's so poignant. Like, it's I don't just... know. I think I'm gonna, I don't know, go beat up a tree or take it out on a tree. Or, <laughs> I don't that's know. That's right. But it's so poignant. Yeah, to have her be like, yeah, she was a real good friend of mine. And you're like, oh, and just that kind of, you don't know what lays in store for these for someone who's so young. So, you, so you found her. They're both Resident. strange. Well, but in, in and her Spacek. and Sissy Spacek, it's like Sissy Spacek. It's kind of obviously. It's, I think that is constructed into the film from the outset. Is like this sort of like melodramatic, mm-hmm. like pulp fiction, dime store novel kind of sense of the world. But in this case, it's also like a skewed, bizarre view of things. And I, I, I can't think of a lot of other examples where a male director has used a f- young female character mm-hmm. in this way. Where I'm like, well, I think in a way because you didn't actually try to speak for them. Right. You let this girl say whatever she wanted, and then with Sissy Spacek's character, you made it like a weird put on, put on thing. Yeah, yeah. That she already has um, a skewed vision of the world, but also she's she's often in Badlands, like commenting on things that are well, like like in Days of Heaven, that are unrelated to what you're seeing. So in in um, when in Day, uh, Badlands, they're you know. On the run and driving across the mm-hmm. the the plains, the plains, and she's like, uh, "We ate like she was talking about the stuff they ate," mm-hmm. and she's like, "We tried to cook this one plant and it tasted terrible." And it's like, you you get a sense of who she is, even though she's not speaking, she's not talking about it. You you want to know like how do you feel when you're a you know, sixteen or fifteen year old fugitive yeah. and you're with this guy who you've seen kill people, and there's that gulf between what you're what you're being given and what you what you kind of want and you sort of fill that in you're like well what kind of what kind of person would talk about that instead of talking about the thing yeah they're also both characters are kind of dissociated from the main action of the film Mm -hmm. like their inner thoughts are and maybe we all are maybe we all are maybe that's like a coping i should tell you i think um that i've been on another podcast and i've talked about badlands so this is (laughs) You, uh, you've. <laughs> it was on Norm Wilner's, someone else's movie podcast. So I'm kind of making the rounds in sequential order. I don't know who's going to have me on to talk about Thin Red Line. Well, I think that uh, I think that might be the two. This, these are the, these are the two options that you that, that you you probably you probably have. You never know what else is out there. Um. So yeah. Uh, oh, I. You had mentioned that you um you you had ideas for who uh, who owes Terry a check. Yes. Um, so so this is a segment on the who owes. Uh, or cut Terry a check. Yeah. And um, we litigate uh, whether or not this person should uh, should send Terrence Malick um, a check. Okay. So this one's a little bit complicated because in this case, I think Terry should send this person a check. Mm. But 
Um, and I don't know how to pronounce her name. Kelly Reichart? Oh, Reichart? yeah. Yeah. How do you say her name? Do I think it's Reichart. Reichart? Yeah. Um, I've only ever watched movies and seen her name in writing. <laughs> yeah, I, I apologize. I've not discussed yeah. her. Um, but I think Terrence Malick owes her a check because there's obvious influence from him in her work, but it's so much harder to be a female filmmaker. <laughs> <laughs> and when you hear the story of how his movies got made and how he gets money, honestly... I was reading last night and there's stuff where it's like, ah, someone saw Badlands and went, I don't care what he makes next. I'm giving him $2 million. Right. Yeah. It's like, I, whatever, whatever this person wants to make, I'll, I'll give them money for it. Yeah. I don't care. He's a nice guy or whatever the hell. And she's flat out said, I had to start teaching at a liberal arts college because no one would fund my films (laughs) and her films are beautiful and brilliant. Yeah. Um, But I think you understand what I mean in the. Absolutely. So he should cut her a check because. Because it's really unfair to influence someone who's not going to have the same opportunities as you. <laughs> yeah, to go down this line of making, uh, uh, you know, esoteric, dreamy films. Yeah. Um, but Meek's cutoff specifically yeah. related to Days of Heaven feels very related. And in a way, stripped even more bare. And I like that. Because mm-hmm. I will say, comparatively to me, Days of Heaven has the potential to squeak more into the sentimental mm-hmm. in its big Ennio Morricone moments. Yeah. Um, and Meek's cutoff is just like... It goes the other way. Now we're walking. <laughs> we are just walking. Oh, a river now. <laughs> right. No, I, I, think that's, I think that's true. I think that he... And um, I've, I've vowed to talk about this on a, on a future podcast as soon as I learn about how this works. But I... It, Terrence Malick has paid back um filmmakers and he now executive produces like tons of yeah movies. he does and like he executive produced zero movies from the year 1973 to like 1998 and he's executive produced like 25 movies so he's cutting then. checks i don't know what that means i think you just get your and I, this is a, this is a side of the business i don't quite understand i think that you just attach your name to something i think people are cutting him checks to do but this. that's sort of a but I mean, he's paying it back. You're lending. You're he's lending doing the thing your I'm name. asking him to yeah, do. You're, he you're should lend, do it for Kelly. He should. He should. You lend your name. I think he did for like David Gordon Green. He's he's executive produced movies that I've never heard of. Like I've and I host the only Terrence Malick podcast. <laughs> There's movies that I've never heard of that he that you know, he lends his name to. You know who else he could cut a check to is Alfred Hitchcock. Mm. He is. I'm making Terry cut checks now. Sure. Yeah, that's fine. Because it Psycho came out in. 1960, uh, yeah, I believe. Um, Days of Heaven came out in 1978, and it's the same house. Mm. And it's I looked it up because as soon as Days of Heaven started, I was like, "This looks like the Psycho House." The Psycho House, and it is because they're both they both owe a check to Edward Hopper. Ah, right, because it's based on that painting, on that, that house uh, by the railroad painting. Right, yeah. So Terry. Al, <laughs> cut, cut cut Eddie a check. Cut the estate of um, I guess Alfred Hitchcock. Of, a check, uh, yeah. And then both of you got to pay old Hopper. Hopper, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, well, that's, that's I reverse the check writing situation, but look, it as I said, it goes both ways. That's how Hollywood works. You got to give some. You got to get some. You got to grease the wheels <laughs> if you want to thresh the wheat. <laughs> All right. Well. We uh, are hopefully going to go see Days of Heaven on the big screen. I'm very excited to repeat this conversation. We'll do this exact same thing <laughs> after rewatching it here. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know what? It's not quite magic hour right now. 
it's it's a little bit, but we're getting a it's little bit magic. of the, the sun is coming. The sun is coming through through the clouds and sort of a thermal inversion haze, and it's creating optical illusions. It's 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 um I I, I feel very close to those the the Texas Panhandle right now. I feel close to God, and that's the goal I think in these in for Terrence Terrence Malick's work. All right, Becky, anything that you'd like to promote to? Yourself, because I think you might be the only devoted listener of this podcast. Um, yeah, I guess, you know, no matter where you live, you you live near um, a historical reenactment uh, village. I would recommend, in the spirit of Terry, go visit it. You've got a Pioneer Black Creek Village in Toronto, mm-hmm. Fort Edmonton. Um, you can go to the one in Calgary, uh, Fort York. You can go to the we one in Calgary Fort, where yeah. the boarding school stuff was shot, I believe. Oh, interesting. So go... Um, Go historical Williamsburg, wherever you are. Go visit a historical site near you. That's beautiful. Absolutely. I don't know what I have. <laughs> I'm in a TD commercial. You'll see it. Okay, so get your uh, upgrade your banking uh, uh, your yeah. to a new checking account. Yeah, whatever it is. <laughs> All right, Becky. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is lovely. <laughs> 